Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today I'm delighted to be joined by a human dynamo, a ball of energy, uh, and an all-around lovely person, Mary Bursak. Welcome to the show. Great Thank you. you. I'm so glad to be here. Actually, it's Marcy. My mom's name is Mary, and we used to get mail interchangeably because our, our names are one letter different. So it's like this funny anomaly. Yeah. Now I'm embarrassed. Um, Don't be Marcy. embarrassed. It happens okay. all the time. <laughs> Uh, somewhere between the two because we've already spoken once it's like don't yeah. it's still embarrassing so anyway um so marcy is uh like me she's a, um, a podcast host and you're an author i'm not an author yet but uh totally unlike me you're an adoptive mom so um i um last time we spoke you had so much uh the, the level of enthusiasm um was huge just on the enthusiasm point, do you know where that comes from, that word? Enthusiasm. I don't know where the root of enthusiasm, what, what's the history of it? So it's Greek and, and the, and the, the, the it's the, uh, <laughs> theos, entheos, right? Theos, like theology, study of God, theos, God. So enthusiasm is something like the God within. I did not know that. That's powerful. Oh, so that's why enthusiastic people are powerful, right? Because mm. it's uh, it's some it, it, it's God or it's nature or it's spirit or it's chi. You know, different people call it different things. Um, I, I'm into all those different things, particularly a religious guy. But yeah, that's so that's where it's come to. That's why it's powerful, right? That's why it's powerful because it's. It's not about, um, it's about our heart, I guess, rather than our head. And, and you know, and today's world is all about strategy and thinking and head stuff and mindset. But the power is in our hearts, right? And that's really important it. when we're I'm raised. so encouraged to know that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So um, enthusiastic, thriving adoptees, what, what comes to your mind when you hear this phrase thriving adoptees i get excited i think that um you know to me you you had just said like well marcy i your enthusiasm kind of stuck out and i'm like well to me there there's so much positive not just energy but stories like there's there's such a hope in the adoption space and i, I was thinking this morning and my family we have a saying that we don't keep secrets we keep surprises um, so an example of that, right? Someone's birthday's coming up and you don't want to tell them what you're giving them, right? Because it's a surprise. Um, and really early with my two children who were adopted, their biological siblings, we were, we were clear about that. Like we don't keep secrets, right? And, and there's certain things like within a family, like maybe the family knows, but everyone else doesn't because it's not always for everyone to know. But I think when we can get to that sweet spot with our own adoption stories that this, this isn't really a secret. I don't have to just feel some of those negative things that we feel weighted down by. I was just reading a study this morning. You may have seen it, Simon. Um, the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption hired the Harris Poll to do a research study on them. And I know this isn't specific to the UK, but in the US, one in 10, so 10% of adults have been adopted. And that blew my mind because I thought, if I'm in a room with 30 adults, that's like three people in the room we're adopted, but I have no idea because sometimes we don't feel like we can just talk about that, right? And we should, we should feel just like any other diversity category. 
we should feel at the table. We should feel like those stories are important because they are. Yeah, that's that number's huge. Um, I ha- I've uh, uh, we we met through that Dave Thomas um, uh, organization, and I have seen some of their some of their recent stuff, but I, that hadn't jumped out at me. The fact that one in ten has been adopted. It's huge. It's huge. Um, You used my favourite word, hope, right? Um, Yeah. So, and and this phrase that has come up for me, this little tagline, I guess, um, and I haven't put it on my website yet, I don't think. That's a a thing to do. Um, Trauma-informed, hope-obsessed. Trauma-informed, hope-obsessed. Um, there is so much that there, there is so much trauma obsession in this world of adoption. And people say, "Well, Simon, you're really you're, you're really positive." I said, "Well, I'm not playing at it. I'm I'm not faking it till I make it. I, I, I'm I am genuinely positive on the basis that I know that none of us are our trauma, right?" We are not our trauma. So that's why I'm hopeful. Um, because I've been down a trauma rabbit hole and then seen the trauma isn't me. Yeah, it's it's something I have I have felt it, I have I have I've thought it, I have felt it, but I thought I was it. And then I realized I wasn't. So I'm not just, but not just as a kind of a nice thing to say, like a tagline, right? But like deep in 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 my heart, that's why I am why I am. However, the world seems to be uh, obsessed with trauma and so where do you see the hope? How come you're so positive? Yeah, and I think so much that, <clears throat> excuse me, as you, you pointed out too, that there's trauma-informed and being hope-filled. They, they almost feel like, are you serious, right? But I think about, for, to put it a different way too, I think about how beautiful it is to live in the raw and the real, right? And raw and real doesn't always sound Pollyanna and happy and everything's perfect. Cause I think there's a difference between kind of choosing to look at something with the glass half full, then looking at it as like you said, like, this is me. And it's like, we've all, and, and I, I'm not going to say that in any way, do I understand my children's trauma? Have I been through my own traumas? Yes. Can I relate on that level? Yes. Are they the same? No. My two kids, they're currently ages 10 and 12. Actually my daughter's had a birthday, sorry, 11 and 12. Um, and they, um, were adopted at a very young age. I met my daughter when she was a week from being three, my son was four and it's, it's to me eye opening as they've aged to see how the trauma of going through the foster care system back and forth where their seventh home to live in has affected both of them so differently. And you could say, well, Marcy, it's their age. It kind of is, but it's also just who they are, right? Like we all, we all go through life differently. You and I could go to the same theme park. You can go to the same library or coffee shop and we're not going to take away the exact same experience, even if we went together, right? And sat at the same table, like we might take away very different parts, 
of what we were exposed to. And I think what's important in this space is I, I do believe there's great empathy to be gained from being trauma-informed in the states. It's really wonderful in the schools to help educators and those working in the schools to help be empathetic and adaptive to children. I think that's very positive. But at the same time, I believe that having a growth mindset and saying, okay, while I know that might be why, that only answers one question, right? Why am I that way? Why is this hard? Why is this this? Or why do I think this way, right? Like, okay, now that we've established what caused it, we have a whole lifetime to decide what we're going to do about that, right? We have a whole lifetime to decide, I've been through this trauma or I went through this experience. Am I going to share it with anyone? Am I going to talk to a therapist? Am I going to talk to my significant other? Like there, there's such opportunity of like, okay, this might feel hard and it might feel vulnerable or it might feel uncomfortable. But now that I know why, where can I take that why and unpack it? And I think that's where the beauty of being trauma-informed can really have potential is, you know, as my kids and I unpack their adoption story, I imagine we're not having the same conversations they might talk to friends or teachers about, but they know it's safe in their home environment to unpack, unpack the trauma, right? And that helps them thrive in a way that we're informed about it, but we're not stopping at the why. We're really trying to help. Okay, well, how do we want to navigate now that we know that? Yeah. So there's huge amounts there. And I want to take you back to the raw and real bit. And I'm just, uh, just flashing back to a, a previous uh, podcast uh, that I had uh, interview I had with a, late, a, a fellow adoptee called uh, Rebecca Orton Sanson. She's doing some great work. She's created uh, a film. She's a filmmaker by trade, and she's created a, a film with um, uh, Nancy Berrio, the author of the of the Primal Wound. And uh, I interviewed her, and I said, "You know, what's thriving mean to you?" And she said, "Well, I'm not sure whether I'm thriving or not." Now, she seemed to me to be very positive person and she's going out there and making a change in the world right she would be a poster girl for thriving for me however she her her view of thriving was i i i guess from what she said was never being down right so the pollyanna picking up on your point about pollyanna we used to have an um, English sheepdog called Pollyanna, funnily enough, my mum and dad. Um, and um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm positive, but I'm not a Pollyanna, right? I know that sometimes I'm down. Which is healthy, right? Like we, we all She's have down, that. yeah. And like, this is, this is, this is a, 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 like, it can seem absolutely nuts, but it's totally true. If we're okay with not feeling okay, right? If we're okay with not feeling okay, we're always okay, right? Mm. If we're not okay with not feeling okay, we're always okay. And we're living in this world where we're told that we have to be positive all the time. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You know, this kind of like fear is what do they call it? False expectations appearing real. You know, what people have emotions. I saw some, uh, I saw some great stuff on this. Uh, a psychologist saying, you don't have mental health issues, you have feelings. You know, it's there's a different, there's a different two here. You don't have mental. So anything that's feeling bad is suddenly a mental health issue. And, and we're kind of 
diminishing the trickier stuff because everybody's got mental health issues. Well, they're not having mental health issues. They're having normal feelings. And um, I have a hard time with that one. I'm like, there's such okay, a range. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? Because to me, and I and I've worked in social service. I've I've worked, and I and my family, like there, there's this is everywhere. And to me, is it normal for like so? For instance, it's it's common in the states around middle school for there to be like a suicide prevention program. Okay, they go into schools, they educate students, and they ask them, "Has anyone ever felt this?" And I think it's a little questionnaire they fill out. Well, kids that say yes, like yes, I thought about committing suicide, they're flagged, and they kind of get talked to a little bit more. Okay, Simon, if we're really real, if we're really real, I've thought that. And I'm sure you've thought that at some point in time, right? Like that's a normal, like not that it's healthy per se, but it's okay to say that you've been that sad and that down that you didn't want to be here anymore. And I think so, to me, going back to what you're saying about they're just feelings, I'm like, okay, there, there, there's, there's things that maybe a typical human experience goes through, right? The ups and downs and so forth. But I think there's also a whole different space. Like why do we have this guide that our psychiatry folks use to diagnose and treat like sometimes there's severe and and things that are chemically imbalanced that need a different type of approach than just talking about it like it doesn't so I guess I'm having a hard time hearing that as like a one-size-fits-all because I'm like sure you can talk about those feelings but you also might need some additional help and that doesn't make it bad or wrong it's just what your body needs yeah okay so um I wasn't very clear for me this it's a spectrum mental health is a spectrum mental health is a spectrum but what, what i see is um and and funny you mentioned mentioned this dsm manual right so uh, as i understand it we're on dsm5 now i think and it is got uh, how many more problems uh, diagnoses than the first one had so they keep right. on discovering new things now I, I've seen, I saw, I saw a documentary on this and, and apparently the drug companies uh, paid the universities in, in the, mm. and the colleges in the States to, to, uh, to, to identify new things and then, and, and, then, um, and then the drug companies have got something to solve. So there's some challenges around that, that stuff right here, but I'm saying that it's a spectrum but sure. what, what I feel is happening in the UK, and I don't know whether this is the same in the US, is that the stuff, everything is, even, even uh, slightly iffy feelings on the low end of the spectrum are getting made up and, and, and getting um, uh, exaggerated and seen as more of a problem. So... It's you know feeling usual standard feelings, regular run of the mill feelings are being seen as as mental health issues. That's kind of what I get as a as a sure. uh, overall. So I, I can see what you're saying in some instances because I think maybe maybe it depends on the flavor of is it a safe place and normal to talk about it. Like I remember because I spent a good chunk of my career in the social service realm where we openly were able to share, today's gonna be a hard day for me. You know, I just lost someone or my dog or whatever the story, and you would know that about your coworkers and about your clients. Like that that was just normal. And I've pivoted into the corporate world where like, that's like the thing you don't speak of. You know what I mean? Like you don't ever, and it's, it, but it's like, but we still have these things, the part of our lives, regardless if we talk about them. And it goes back to what we were saying even earlier about our own adoption stories. Like just because we don't talk about it doesn't mean it's not real. 
we just didn't talk about it in that environment, right? And I think that there's some beautiful, back to what you earlier said too, like there's so much hope in being able to unpack that in a safe, a safe way. And there are those ways to create that as more of a normal experience across the world that we should be able to talk about adoption and we should be able to talk about trauma and we should be able to talk about mental health and people should be aware of it. I had a, a talk recently with a large university that's online. So it's a huge kind of online campus. And I talked with their staff and, and I set the stage that, you know, they were welcome to ask anything. Uh, all I would not share is why my kids were in care. Um, and I would not say anything negative about their bio family. Those are my two round rules. And so I welcomed, like, you can ask anything. And what I loved is one of the very first questions was, Marcy, how do I know if I have my own mental health issues that I can parent a child that will have mental health issues? Like Simon, to me, like the fact that someone felt comfortable enough asking that was aware of themselves to feel concerned and had kind of known enough about the adoption space to know that's what I'm signing up for. It, it allowed everyone in the room to benefit yeah. because we were able to talk about like, because we go through our own mental health journeys, we are actually better at parenting because like, I did that myself. Like I went and got counseling at the beginning of living with my children because I was like, I have stuff I need to unpack. And man, if I'm going to ask them to go to play therapy, I can talk about my therapist, just like we can talk about theirs and it becomes normal and not weird or something's wrong. It's just like, this is a healthy way to engage with life. Yeah. As a, there's, there's no denial, right? right. So you, it, 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 you, you're talking about a couple, a couple of different things that if I'm looking down on it, you took at one point you're saying, um, there is uh, not there's denial in, in the corporate sector compared to the, the the social services sector, and you're saying there's there's no denial in this uh, there's no denial there's no denial in your household, and there's no denial in uh, in this forum that you were mm. you're talking in, and we're not brushing anything under the carpet. We're bringing it out into the open. Um, and it goes back to what you were saying about, uh, you know, no, no secrets. It's the, it's the end of secrets. It's the end of secrets. It's the, uh, and it's the, yeah, it's the end of stigma, isn't it? Yes, we need, yes, we need to end the stigma. We need to, and we are right. Like what, what you're doing right now by providing this conversation, like it, it tells people it's okay. And in fact, please talk about it too. You know, yeah, it's really that simple. Like if we talk about it and help people feel like, Oh, I've been feeling that way. Or, Oh, I've wondered that. Or, Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, you use a, 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 a great word as well. You said unpacking and that uh, somebody asked me yesterday what my favorite uh, episode was of the, of the podcast so far. And I said it was the one from a lady called Holly Ann Petrie, um, an adopted mom, um, and runs, she's exec director of a, an agency as well. And she came up with the title of Unpacking Our Own Baggage as Adoptive Parents. And that one was my favorite for the kind of the self-awareness reasons that you're talking about. To. so i i would um i'm going to put a link into the uh to the show notes uh, on that because with whatever there's 160 episodes so so far um uh, in the podcast it, it's sometimes hard to to find them so i'll put a link into that so um what 
let's let's zero in. We've been quite big. Let's zero in. And you've talked about that you're alluding to the environment in which you're raising your kids. So can you share more of what you've learned about creating that appropriate environment in, I guess, eight years? If if you first met your son and he's four and he's now 12, You've been at this eight years, right? Thanks for doing the math for me. Usually people say, well, how long? And I'm like, hold on, <laughs> I don't know. Cause it's like, you, you don't like, they didn't get adopted at day one. So it's, yeah, thank you. That, yes, you're right. But I think a lot of what informs the way that my husband and I parent, my husband's an educator. So that like skews things to, and we were, we were one of 10 families that applied to adopt our kids. And my understanding was him being a teacher was a big draw for the group that was choosing. And then my husband's grandfather, so back in like 1920, Sam was about seven years old. Um, Sam lost his mom and dad um, due to illness. And Sam had an older brother and sister who were older and could help on a farm. And Sam was seven and a boy and defiant. And so Sam was on the streets while his siblings got adopted. So we had this whole other draw uh, when we were even dating that I was like, I actually don't feel like I want to have biological children. So it's kind of that as a backdrop, because I do um, part of my, my work in the author space is I do help people understand how to navigate the foster care adoption process. And a common story is um, couples who may or individuals who may have a story of infertility. And I know that that in of itself comes with a whole mindset. Uh, where you have to, and we talk through this a lot as I coach families, um, you really have to think about doing it for this child and it's not replacing something. So my, my story is not of one of infertility, mine is one of choice. So with that kind of as a backdrop and a, a teacher husband, um, we made a commitment to our kids really early in, I think kind of non-verbally that we really wanted them to feel like they could always ask anything. And sometimes, and ask anything for us means not just adoption story, but this is like body parts, you know, life, reprint, all that stuff. We were like, we just want to be comfortable and our kids to like feel like they can literally ask anything. But we also have as parents, as over time, sometimes we'll say, we know the answer to that, uh, but we're choosing to not tell you. So for instance, a common question of the past couple of years is, I don't remember my bio mom or bio's dad's name. And they'll pause and they'll look at me and I'll say, I know, but I am choosing as your parent to not share that right now because I want you to be able to focus on you and this, and you're welcome to disagree. Like we're at that stage now, you're, you can disagree. And if you'd like to have something I'm not giving you, just tell me and we can have a conversation, right? Like I'm not a perfect parent by any means, but I am trying to co-parent with my husband and I am trying to help my kids be part of that. So something that we did, so um, in the US and in the state that I'm in, in Missouri, you can, it's a closed adoption state. So we actually chose because of instability um, the bio parents were not married. They were very young. Uh, we chose to have a closed adoption. So we don't maintain contact. And I know people have very strong opinions one way or another. We wrestled with it a lot. And for our scenario, it just felt like the right thing to do to help our kids feel less drama in their lives. And we, with, with the intention of when you're you know, high school age, we'd love to help you reconnect. Um, but for right now, we want you to have stability. So that's kind of where we've angled things. Um, but things that we've done, um, my kids can ask anything about anything. So if memories come up, they can talk about their memory. And, and I know some people are like, oh my gosh, that makes me feel like there's like another parent. There is, <laughs> right? But when we realize that these are people and 
um, while there, there might be a story there that we, we dislike certain elements of it, I think it's important for my kids to know that I support them. And that while we might be disappointed in people's decisions and choices, just like we are in ourselves sometimes, right? We all make decisions and choices that aren't the best at, at all times. And so we get to do those conversations together. You know, I feel this about that, you know, my bio mom, or I feel, how can this happen? Can you tell me this detail? So we fill in gaps. And probably in the middle of the pandemic, there was a question, because some things that come up, Simon, and, and many of your listeners who are adoptees might recall some of these moments. I remember in like kindergarten or first grade, so my kids, we met right on the brink of preschool. So kindergarten, first grade, the teachers say, okay, bring in a baby picture. So they come home. Thanks a lot, <laughs> right? And I remember talking to my husband because I was like, I'm in fumes. Like, I am so mad that this is a thing. And like my kids left out. And my husband just tried to be like, Marcy, just try to understand where the teacher's coming from. And like, can you just try to find a way to make this work? And I recently saw this really funny post on social media about this topic that this young man said had the same assignment and his, his adoptive mom said, okay, we can Google and find a kid that looks like you at a younger age, or you can just bring in an older kid photo. And, and this gentleman was like, I'm bringing in myself. Like, I don't want to, you know, but it's just these interesting choices that I don't think people think when they assign these topics to our kids, that they don't think you wouldn't have that. Right. So we ended up, we had access to some earlier in life, but not baby photos. And we sent them in. So we actually, my kids' bio parents have individually given us sort of like a note and then some photos for our kids. And they were given to us at the goodbye visit. My kids were so little, they were four and five at that point. Um, and we never gave it to them. We just held on to it. And we felt like when it was the right time, it would make a hundred percent sense to unpack it together. But given the bandaid that just felt like it got ripped off, like this is not the right moment. And in the pandemic, that was an opportunity for us. We uh, there were a lot of questions that came up. The kids were doing something about why, you know, how come my fingers are this way or my toes or my hair? It was all those things about why do I look this way, right? And so we had this beautiful conversation and got both books out and went through all the photos and read the notes together. And it's something they, they're allowed to like check out. We don't just leave it out, right? Um, but had great conversation with tears, right? Like we had great conversation about, look, this is who you look like. And look, this is what this is and, and questions. Some of them were, what am I doing with C? And I'm like, I don't know. I wasn't there, but we can try to figure it out. Um, but it's just an open dialogue, Simon, to us. It's just, to me, if I think about it, if, if it was me in my kid's shoes and let's say something happened, right? Let's say that like my, my parents died. And as a kid, I went and lived with hopefully aunt and uncle or, or someone kind, right? I would hope that they would let me unpack my entire living existence up to that point, anytime I needed to, because they loved me and my family enough to help me process, right? And that's kind of the lens that I've taken as a parent is I don't really know the biological parents super well, but I, I can I can tell myself that to give a gift to them and to my children and our, our children really, right? At least share them, that we can help them navigate that in a healthy way instead of making it a secret or a surprise, right? That later can just cause so much turmoil and trauma to just kind of not never talk about it. Yeah. So there's a few things that you said that um, I about, you know, uh, different people having disagreements about open clothes. Right. Um, yep. These these uh, these little um, well, these little these incidents that are thrown at us, like the, the, the baby picture stuff and and figuring it out. What I see. I put a uh, I put a, um, a question in a in a Facebook group that's where adopt, adoptive parents and adoptees hang out. And I said I'm doing this. I'm, I'm I'm doing webinars. What should I do it on? And they all 
they all wanted really practical things. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking, well, the, tr the trouble with practical stuff is that you get into the advice zone, right? And I'm not an adoptive parent. So how, how can I talk to that? Like, you know, you said you can talk about your trauma. You can talk about your kid's trauma. I, you know, I can't talk, I can talk about my experience as an adoptee. I can't talk, talk, you know, giving advice to an adoptive parent. How happy do I feel doing that? Also, there's an, um, there's a million and one, there's a million and one practical challenges, uh, things that come up. And if we're kind of, and we figure them out, right? But there seems to be this need, uh, and because I see this in myself, right, not to do with parenting, because my wife and I'm going to become kids, there's, there seems to be a massive theorizing and predicting, trying to come up with all the solutions that we were that we're going to uh, face, and think our way through how we're going to solve every every uh, every event every issue every challenge or ask advice from everybody on how we're going to address issues that haven't yet risen yet i mean what what's that all about i mean is, is this just me or is that what you see you know when you're helping people navigate the process do they come up with 101 things that might happen and feel that they have to kind of have the answer to them before they arise? Or is, is it just me that sees this? No, I think it's a mix. I mean, my husband and I, because you had mentioned earlier about unpacking, we had done some advanced training because we knew we wanted like non-infants and because Grandpa Sam was seven and we wanted older kids. And I remember we did this, um, it was called invisible suitcase training. And it was all about like how to be informed that the child or children will walk in with the whole backstory. And that, that was super helpful for us. Did we use everything that, from that class? Probably not, but I think what's interesting to your point, I had someone recently um, who adopted mom and the young daughter was like six or seven. Her birthday was coming up and adopted mom and I crossed paths and she knew the kind of work I did and said, Marcy, I um, need help. Uh, my daughter doesn't actually know she's adopted. And you know me, we just talked about this, right? I don't like secrets. I don't. I, I had a sibling that really late in life, like, like high school, like late, late growing up years, it was disclosed to her that her biological dad was someone other than who she thought. So like, it just, it, I, I saw the tailspin of that, right? And so I saw this incredible opportunity, like the vulnerability of Marcy, how do I do this? But the reaction she said was, what book do I read? And I said, no, 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 <laughs> hold on. And we're on a call, just like you and I on a Zoom call. And I said, I wanna role play with you. I think there's such power in role play. And she said, I don't, you know, I don't know what to say. And so I was like, well, pretend I'm your daughter, give it a try. So we did over, over video. She didn't like it. And I said, okay, I want to switch the tables. I want to be you. And I want you to pretend you're the daughter. And I talked to her the same way that I talked to my kids, right? Like, how do you explain that kind of a story to a kid without making it sound like it was awful and it was bad and you were pulled, you know, like you can go that way, right? But instead, what if it's, it, 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 you choose the angle, right? You choose the angle. And I, and I coached her through, you know, explained to her how special she is and how it wasn't safe and how she needed somewhere to go and, and you were there and how you're so sorry. You know, this is, this is when you wanted to tell her you thought she was ready, but you wanna make sure this isn't like a one-time discussion that she feels like 
she can ask and she can talk and she can unpack it. And Simon, one thing I want to point out is one thing I'm so proud of my kids in is they, because of me being an author, I'm like, Hey, do you want, is it okay for family photos on this? Cause like when it is like, everyone's going to know you were adopted. Like just, just so you know, cause we, we, from a racial perspective, my kids are Hispanic. I'm very white. It's only in the summertime. Do you notice I don't tan, but for the most part, we kind of blend, right? Like you don't really, you can't tell racially that they're adopted. And my son during the pandemic, he in fifth grade, there was an assignment to write a paper about anything you wanted. And he said, I'm going to write about foster care adoption. Well, the hard part, Simon, is when you go to get research, you're getting all these like children's services websites, all this stuff that's like garbage, you know, garble, like it's all this like legal jargon. So my child's trying to write this paper and I'm trying to help him tease out, you know, the age appropriate way to talk about things. But it was, it was a challenging essay to write. And his teacher said to him, she said, you know, how, how about you change topics? This seems really complex for you. And Simon, you know what he did? He said, it's really important to me that I tell my story. It's really important to me that the kids I go to school with are aware that there are kids just like me. So this might be hard, but I'm going to do my project because it's important that at this age, we talk about it, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, figuring stuff out and role-playing and support and uh, having a trusted friend. How important is, is this? And, and to, you know, like you said that you gave that one example of, of you know, the, the woman wanted to know what book. Right. What book you're going to read right uh, yeah i think it's common right well because you know where do i go how do i know where to go and then and, and personally i have time carved out that like that's that's my ministry on the side like i love the one-on-one conversations because people open up about what's like the fears that are really surrounding a lot of their parenting right should they even do this how do i navigate this but i think in terms of how important is it to have kind of that circle or those people, I would say critical. I mean, I have two different adoptive moms that as my husband and I were navigating this whole process, it's, it's like our kids were living with us and we weren't quite legally done, that kind of thing. I could text them any time of day and I didn't expect them to respond at like 2 a.m., right? But I could text them my raw and real feelings. I could call them in, in my you know disarray of, I don't know what to do, I'm feeling hopeless, I'm seeing regressed behaviors. I mean, to me, Simon, there's no book like that right? There, there's no online website. If, I mean, if you saw the things we talked about and the candor that we share of like, this is crazy, right? Or what do I do? Or I feel like a failure or this. I don't know where that is online. I don't know where that is in a book. I mean, it's real life, but that lived experience to me is, is the most critical piece of it, right? Like how can we learn from each other as we go through this either in parallel or because you've already gone down this road, your kids are older, like teach me, teach me what you've learned in the process. I think that's super critical. So that's what this podcast is all about, teaching teaching people, well, teaching people, sharing what they've learned in the process, I guess, rather than teaching. Um, and and uh, when it, it's, how many, how many people that, I ha- that have on this podcast haven't got lived experience I think maybe one or two. It's pretty clear to me when I have the conversations, if I have conversations, pre, pre-recording conversations when people haven't got lived experience because there isn't the depth. There, there isn't the depth um, there. It's, it's theory. And uh, as I remember this, I, rem- I distinctly remember 
the three year wasting three years in college learning about the theory of business right mm. i mean it was it was management sciences it was it was all theory apart from one out of 18 modules i loved that the other 17 absolute it just had no power it had no resonance it had no it had no soul it, it was like economic and social history how's that going to help me run a business you know so um i'm conscious of time um what are the what are the the main things that that you've learned and you continue to learn raising your kids that's a really good question i think for one um the thing i have to keep learning over and over is to be aware that i might not know the whole story and that, that's from like anything from having siblings, right? Where like, you don't even know why they're arguing because there's two sides. But I think from an adoptive parent standpoint, I don't always know what happened before us. I don't always know chemically what I have biologically. I, I don't know. I don't know what I have, right? So as my kids are aging and they're getting moles on their skin and I have moles on my skin too. Like, I didn't know that. And I don't know, like, I can't tell them what age they're going to have acne or how severe it's going to be, right? But I can, I can give them a little heads up on kind of, you know, this is puberty, you know, this is what to expect. Um, but I think just being aware that I'm trying my best right now with what I know and the cards change all the time where we learn something new or something flares up. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea for the past this many years that you needed more, more help in this space. Like we didn't know in school that that was, you know, so I think that's been huge is just recognizing that I only know what I know today, today. Um, and to forgive myself that, you know, I, I might not have done it right for years, but I tried, like it, I was, I was doing what I thought because no one gets a parenting manual. I think that's been really key. And I think the other piece that just leads into why I stepped into the author space is it's so important as adoptive families. So both the adoptee and the parents on whatever equation of that, I think it's so important tactfully to share our stories. And that, that's something as simple as, you know, a good friend or a colleague or what I mean, I, you and I are more public about this, right? We have podcasts. Um, I think it's so important to normalize in a tactful way, meaning, you know, maybe you're not divulging every possible detail about everything that happened to everyone, right? There's, there's some tact in that, but I think it's so important to make that conversation real. And it, it is real, right? Like, regardless if we talk about, it, as I said earlier, like it's still there. And I think when we can be brave and even if that's, Hey, it's national, I don't know what's in the UK. We just came out of National Foster Care Month here in the US. We have a national adoption, but there's all these other ways to celebrate these kinds of things. And it's like even just asking a civic group or an employer, whatever the thing is, like, hey, can I speak on this? Or hey, can I write a blog post on this? You know, can I just do something to share? And I think the, the final piece that kind of wraps all that together, Simon, one of the things that I find so intriguing in this space, and I think you may have a similar experience, is as a result of going public, right? To, to be an encouragement in the space, to help guide people in this space, I get, I get a lot of private messages. And to me, that's where so much of the fruit is because people feel I'm safe to tell you, right? And I can tell you, I can't even tell you the number of people, but the adults that were adopted that have reached out to me, that no one, no one in their circles knows, right? Like I had a gentleman recently that said, my wife doesn't even know what I went through. I've never opened up to her but I've seen the work that you're doing and I'm seeing how important it is to talk about it. And so they went ahead and had a, like, you know, he started unpacking that story with her. Right. And it's just like, man, if we can feel safe and know how 
beautiful it can be to bond with someone and share what that was with appropriate people. Like there's such hope we can give the world to let people understand the things you've gone through. Yeah. I want to take you back a couple of minutes to something that you said about um, the same, the same learning over and over. And, and I, I think that's, you know, I, I, the same level, the same learning over and over uh, and not, it's not once and done. And I think that's, that's sort of, that is the key to the, um, well, the start of the end of guilt, right? Because we, we, we believe that learning, because we start learning, you know, two plus two, whatever, you know, we, we, we believe that learning is a once and, once and done thing. And it's not, it, 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 it's, it's an ongoing process. So, if we make like sometimes we well I, I beat myself up about making the same mistakes right and and there's something else on that that I, that I had a breakthrough on a couple of weeks ago when I thought you know I was thinking of, I was thinking about regret okay and and I thought well if I'd known better I would have done better if I'd known differently I would have done differently and if I if I had my time again, I would do differently. So I'm kind of, I'm off the hook for my past mistakes. And I'm wondering how significant that is with the adoptive parents that you speak to in terms of how much beating, beating ourselves up is that? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's prevalent. Um, in a healthy way, right? Like I think what what I like to look at the angle of is we all do it, regardless if we're adoptive parents or just humans, right? We all we all apologize. I, I was on the phone with someone for work yesterday who had missed the training and needed help, and she was apologizing that, oh my gosh, I have to ask for help. And I was like, can you stop apologizing? Like, let me just help you. It's really okay. And I think for me, an approach that I try to take is instead of apologizing for the thing. You know, because I've even talked to my kids. I'm really sorry. I didn't know that. Like, I feel like a bad parent. And and they'll even respond to that. And they'll be like, mom, like, I'm not mad. Like, I, I don't know why you're feeling bad about it. And I'm like, I'm really glad I voiced that because I think it's just a lie in my head. Right. But I think there's also something to say for changing our language. Right. So instead of getting, you know, I can apologize to my kids. Right. But I don't need to do it over and over and over. Instead, what I need to say is thank you. Thank you that I get to try again. Right. I mean, just as even, you know, younger kids for them, like they mess up and then they correct the behavior and they try, they're not stuck in like, well, mom, I hit my sister, you know, like they, they didn't get stuck back there. Like, why should I get stuck back there? Right. But it's easier said than done. I mean, I, I constantly talk to my spouse and some couple, I have several friends in my life that are in the therapy counseling space. And even just to learn from them, what their real lives are like and, and how to allow yourself to even like revisit things. And, and just like an approach I want to share as we wrap up is you know, going back in your head mentally to what you did that you're regretful of and being able to, in your head, replay the scene, but choose differently and then allow yourself to have closure. Like, had I known what I know now, this is what I would do in that scenario. And I'm going to let myself let it go. Like that, what that's what I hopefully will do next time. You know, that we don't have to keep going, oh, I made, made a mistake. It's like, well, we're human. Like if that doesn't happen every day to you, like maybe you're not being honest with yourself, right? Yeah. Fantastic. So as always, listeners, um, I check out the show notes. There'll be links to uh, Marcy's blog, uh, podcast and Marcy's books. 
and you can connect uh, and link to her socials as well so you can connect with and find out what she's doing and um, thank you again for coming on the show it's been an absolute delight this was wonderful and I feel so encouraged so thanks for all that you do to create dialogue safely in a space that it's much needed yeah you're a star thanks a lot thank you very much listeners and we will speak to you very soon bye-bye